You think you're the one getting all the stuff out of it. I get more out of it than you guys do. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. I mean, God works on me, but I, I promise you, as I teach, he's teaching me. And as you learn, I'm learning. And so we just learn together. We'll let God change us together. That's the purpose of the book. Okay, we're in the book of Revelation. We're showing, or we're looking at, and God's showing us what's going to happen in the seven-year period called Jacob's Trouble or Daniel's 70th week because it has to do with Israel. Again, Israel has rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and as a result, the gospel went to the Gentiles. But at some point, God is going to go back to the nation, and they will accept Christ as the Messiah. And when they do that, the kingdom can come in. But he says in Daniel 9, and we looked at it, that wars will continue until the end, until this tribulation period comes. And we are seeing that today, are we not? You've got war going on right now in the Golan Heights and the West Bank. And the reason it's going on is we just studied it. In Genesis, you've got the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac all laying claim to that land. Because Ishmael is the firstborn of Abraham, but not Sarah. And Isaac's the firstborn of Abraham and Sarah. And Ishmael's son, Muhammad, is believed to have rode into Jerusalem and ascended physically off of that place where that gold dome is. And that's sacred, hallowed ground for the Islamis. And you had someone go up and desecrate that, and war broke out. And as a result of that, that's what you see. That is all biblical. That's what I'm saying. It's a great time to study prophecy in the book of Revelation, because we see it unfolding in our eyes. You turn on the TV, and there's prophecy. Now, you haven't had that for almost 19 centuries, and we've got it today. So it's a great time. It's a great time to witness. It's a great time to sit down and show people, hey, what you're seeing on TV was written down some 2,000 years ago, some three, 4,000 years ago. Okay? So what we've seen so far is we've seen the throne room in heaven, God seated upon the throne. He has the title due to the kingdom of the earth which Satan is running, but God still owns it and controls all things that take place in it. And at some point we know that he is going to defeat the rulers, the principalities, and authorities. He stripped them of their power of death over a human being, eternal death, at the cross. And he will strip physical death of its power at the second coming. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? And so we saw in chapter 7, well, actually in chapter 6, Jesus takes that scroll, the title deed to the kingdom of earth, that has writing on both sides, and it is sealed up, seven wax seals. And he starts to take it and unpeel it, unroll it, but he has to break the seals first. And as he breaks open the seals, John sees judgments that come down upon the earth. There's a threefold purpose of the judgments, just like there was a threefold purpose of the plagues when Moses and Aaron was trying to get Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. But they were to show the power of God, that this is a supernatural event and God is speaking, that man must pay attention. It is to call men to repentance, same thing. It is to judge wicked men upon the planet because God is just and he says he will judge evil. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And it's also to purge the kingdom for the coming king to set up his kingdom upon this earth that was prophesied way back to Daniel, or way back to David, way back to the uh, 
Proto-Evangelion in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head and reconcile man back into a right relationship with God. Do you know what the word reconciliation means? Concile means to make friendly or to become on friendly terms. <clears throat> to reconcile means to be put back into the original relationship. Let's say Steve backs into my car. He'd be a great person to have back in your car because he's an insurance agent. I like it. Let's say he backs into my car and I say, well, you know, it's brand new and stuff. Uh, I'll have to get it fixed. I don't have to drive around knowing that it's crunched, but it's okay. That's what I pay insurance for, but don't come around me anymore. While I've consiled with him, we're on friendly terms, but has there been a reconciliation? No, reconciliation would be, okay, Steve, and I take him in, I put my arm around him, don't worry about it. Hey, it's all going to be burned up anyway. It's got reserve for fire on it, no problem. And I just don't even ever bring it up again, but we are back into an original right relationship. Well, at some point, the second coming, God's going to reconcile man to him, meaning put him back into the original relationship that he had in the garden with his God. But even a better one, because instead of being immortal, we'll be glorified. Okay? And so prior to that, <clears throat> we've got the seven-year tribulation period. <clears throat> Judgments are going to come down and cleanse the earth so the king can come. We see the first six judgments that come down upon the earth, and they parallel Matthew 24, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one's open, and you see a white horse come out with a political leader on it, and he has a crown. We know that. He is a ruler. He has a weapon. It's unarmed. So he brings peace, but he's bent on a conquest, so we know that he's not Christ. Christ comes on a white horse in chapter 19. Again, I believe that this is the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. The event is a peace treaty that is signed. Now, it looked like we were getting close. Clinton was seeing visions of grandeur, but they're blown apart now. He was hoping to go out with a bang, but I don't think that he's going to bring about peace. He may. But the Bible says when you see these two people sign a permanent peace treaty, then the seven-year period will come, and I think that's the significance of this white horse, okay? The next one's the black, or the red horse. The next one's the black, and the fourth one is the dapple horse. Four horsemen, I believe they're coming from the four corners of the earth, meaning they're thorough and, it, and they affect the entirety of the planet. The fifth seal, you see martyrs on the altar. The sixth seal, you see the famous scene of the moon turning blood red and so forth. And then in between the sixth and the seventh seal, there's what's called a parenthesis. Because remember, chronologically, he's going. John's writing. And then he kind of probably puts down his pen and says, wait a minute. What about the Jewish nation? What about the church? Because John would be in concern of both. He is a Jew, and he is the foundation, or part of the foundation of the church. And so I believe Jesus says, okay, I'm glad you asked. Let's back up, and I'll tell you what happens to the Jewish nation and the Gentile church. And the next two events that you see in chapter 7 happen prior to chapter 6 that before the first seal is opened, you have 144,000 Jewish people that are sealed. They come to faith and they have the Holy Spirit dwell within them. They are marked. 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, a gross of Jews. And you see them, and, it's, and the number 12 in the Bible is the number of perfect delegation. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. 
12 foundational stones, 12 gates on the new temple of the city. And it will be perfectly delegated or ruled. These Jewish people, I think, are literal 144,000. I think they're symbolic of the nation Israel as a whole. And it's showing that they come to faith and they are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The only way you can be sealed by God is to accept Christ as your Savior, and then you have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your salvation. I like that. Someone asked me before, uh, I think it was Russ, he asked me, uh, he was talking to uh, somebody at work, and he said, uh, does your pastor like Jews? He says, yeah, he loves them. Bring them on. I hope this whole place would get filled with Jewish people. You and I are Gentiles. We're regenerated. Not to minimize that, that's a great thing, but a Jew that comes to faith is complete. They have completed their purposes, that they are God's chosen people, and they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God that was prophesied that God would pour out his Spirit upon his people, and they've accepted the Messiah. It's a great thing to see Jews for Jesus. Barakasham down in Dallas, it's a Jewish temple that is believers. They worship on Saturday, <clears throat> but they're Christian Jews. It's a great thing. Okay, so this is the nation Israel, and he's saying before the first judgment comes down upon the planet, the nation Israel comes to faith, and these 144,000 evangelize the planet. You see in chapter 14, at the end of the seven-year period, they're with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and he loses no one. Then in verse 9, you see a multitude before the throne from every tribe, nation, language, tongue. They're standing in front of the throne and Jesus in between them, looking like a lamb, which refers to him dying on the cross. And so that is the church. And one of the elders comes to John and says, who do you think they are? John says, I don't know. Who do you think they are? Who do you think they are? You tell me. You're in heaven. He says, these are those who came out, ek, out of the tribulation. And I believe that that's the rapture. Okay? So I think those two events happen before the tribulation period. And again, because in chapter 7 he starts out with the angels are holding back the four winds, which I think are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is referred to in Zechariah, and then he lets them go. Now, chapter 8, we're going to pick up where we left off on the seals. Remember, one, two, three, four, five, six seals. He says, time out, wait a minute, you're asking, what about the Jews, what about the church? Let me tell you, I forgot to tell you, before the first judgment happens, we're going to seal up the Jews, and we're going to take out the church. My personal opinion on the rapture. He says, now, in chapter 8, let's get back to it. Let's open up the seventh seal. And he says, when the seventh seal is opened, there was silence in heaven for about an hour. That's not a good thing. I think I told you, like before O.J., uh, the judge came out to sentence him. I guarantee there was a silence that was heard around the world. Everybody waiting to hear judgment being pronounced. That's what you've got here. Judgment is about to be pronounced on this planet, and there is silence in heaven. Habakkuk uh, 3.20 or 2.20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple, and all the earth is silent before him meaning that his wrath is building and building and he's silent and at some point it's going to be poured out. Psalm 76, 8 through 9, Zephaniah 1, 7 says the same thing. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. 
Zechariah 2.13, it says, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So there's silence. And in verse 2, he says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And I call these guys the boogie-woogie bugle boys of Company J.C. All right? But the tune they're going to be playing, people aren't going to be dancing. Watch this. Another angel, and the word in the Greek is alas, not eteros, different, but alas, same kind, who had a golden censer came, stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And again, you go back to the tabernacle language. You've got the altar of incense, and it was symbolic of the prayers and the worship that would go up like the, like the smoke of the incense to the nostrils of the holy God, and it would please him. Here he's got a censer, and it's filled with the prayers of the saints and the worship. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand, and they were pleasing to him. I added that. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquakes. Now, several things. Number one, a trumpet in the Old Testament was used for many purposes. It was used to call Israel to a feast. It was used to call Israel to a meeting. It was used to call Israel to pick up and move as they were wandering in the desert. Uh, it was, it was a uh, blast of a trumpet that would announce someone getting disciplined or stoned. So they had all these different reasons. If new news was to come out, you had a trumpet blow. It was for events. Uh, if they were to go to war, you'd have a trumpet that would blast. Uh, if you were to anoint a king, a new king, you would have a trumpet blast. And so basically it was, if you heard the trumpet, you would pay attention because something was about to be announced or something that was going to happen that deemed your undivided attention. And that's what you see with these trumpeters. Now, this censer that this one angel takes, and he fills it with the coals of the altar, and he throws it on the earth. In the Old Testament, you saw coals under the altar to light the sacrifices, and they were also to light the incense. In Isaiah chapter 6, you see uh, Isaiah having a vision. King Uzziah had died, and he was the greatest king. And Isaiah was crying out to God, okay, the king is dead. Who we got on the throne and God says let me show you who we got on the throne and he gives him the vision and he sees the Lord seated in his temple on the throne and his robe fills the temple complete authority and he sees angels flying around the throne of God saying holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and then the announcement goes out who will go and proclaim these truths to my people and Isaiah says well I'd go but I am a man undone in the Hebrew meaning unraveling at the seams like a garment. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And out of the mouth come the overflows of the heart. What he's doing is he's in the presence of a holy God and he's realizing his sinfulness. He sees the holiness of God and the sinfulness of his heart. Uh, it's like Peter, when Jesus came to him after Peter had been out all night long fishing, and Jesus says, Pete, go back out there and put your net on the left side of the boat. And Pete says, yo, Jesus, you know preaching. 
you know God, but Bo knows fishing. All right? Pete knows fishing. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 spare me the rhetoric. Just go on out there. So Pete says, okay. He goes out, and you know the story. He catches more fish than he can haul into his boat. And he comes back to shore. What's he do? He falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He sees the holiness of God, and he realizes the sinfulness of his soul. And that's what you've got with Isaiah. Now, do you remember the story with Isaiah, what happens? You have an angel that goes, and he takes one of the coals from under the altar, and he takes it, and he touches it to Isaiah's lips. And the idea is to take the fire to purge and to burn him, to cleanse his mouth. The idea here of this angel taking the coals from the altar and hurling it upon the earth is that the earth is going to be purged just like Isaiah was. Okay? Alright, let's take a look at these trumpets. Verse 6, the first one is sounded. Now what you're going to see in verse 1 through 4, you're going to see actually the first four trumpeters when they blow their trumpet, John's going to see the scene in heaven, and he's going to see the result of it on the earth. The first four trumpets, when they're sounding, you're going to see ecological disaster on the earth. God is going to affect the ecosystem. The hydrolysis system is going to affect uh, the oxygen content of the air. He's going to affect the light. He's going to affect the earth itself. And I think it's significant because if you look at the plagues that came down on Pharaoh, each one of the plagues, I don't know if you know this, each one of the plagues had to do with a god that they worshipped. That they worshipped Osiris, who was the god of the underworld, and they believed that the Nile was his bloodstream, and that all life came from it. And then you had particular gods that cared about the fish, that cared about the frogs, that cared about uh, uh, crocodiles, Literally, they had a crocodile goddess. Uh, they mummified crocodiles. They worshipped crocodiles. If you look at the old Egyptian gods, they had gods for everything. They had a sun god, Ray. They had a moon god. They had uh, a god that would allow the plants to come up. And so each one of the plagues that came down slapped Egypt in the face, saying, you think your gods are all powerful? Watch this. You think Osiris controls the Nile and the life that comes out of it? I'm going to turn it to blood. You want a life stream? Here you go, and he turns it to blood. And then you've got frogs. They believe that uh, Kanum was the god who created man, molded him out of the dirt. Sound familiar? And then Heket, this, this goddess who had a frog head and a woman's body, breathed life into this form. And they believe that she was a fertility god. And if you look at it, it's humorous. He says, all right, you've got a... a a frog goddess, a fertility goddess, you want frogs, I'll give you frogs. And these frogs came out of the Nile. And do you remember where they went? Where did they find them? In the beds, in the bedrooms. You want fertility gods? You want frogs in the bedroom? I'll give them to you. Next time you crawl in, you're going to have all these slimy frogs all over you. Now it's got a sense of humor. And so you can go down the list. The flies, you know, with Ray the sun god, or Uachit, uh, responsible for the fly, livestock. Uh, the Egyptians worshipped bulls and cows. They've got sandstone statues 
of Amenhotep II, which was the pharaoh in this place, who had his head under the calf, you know, his head on top of, or this bull, his head on top of his, you know, kind of like this picture. They've got a sandstone statue of him down there sucking on one of the tits of the cow to get milk. They worshipped. They thought that it was divine, uh, the divine milk from the goddess or from the gods. So they were out there. What you see here, I think, in Revelation with the first four trumpets and the first four judgments coming down on the planet and affecting nature, what are we worshiping now? And it says it in Romans. We worship and serve what? The creation rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Well, we'll spend $6 million to go get a couple of whales out of the ice and not feed children on the other side of the world. We got problems. We should have killed the whales, cut them up, and sent the food. When we care for our pets, and we, when we care for animals, and abort, I don't know how many millions of babies, we're in trouble. When we got tree huggers out there that are worried more about the economy than human life, we're in trouble. The Bible says we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. The creation is here for us. The animal kingdom is here for us to rule over, not to take away from your pets and those that you love. That's fine. But we're not to worship them. We're not to put them in front of human life. And that's why I think in these first four judgments, he comes and he just wipes out nature. Mother Earth, Father Time. You know, we're worshiping the creation. Watch what he does. Verse 6. He says, Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And that fire probably is lightning. Don't know. Sometimes it says it comes down. Uh, you're going to see the false prophet bring down fire in full view of men. Either it's lightning, which would be described as fire, or if it comes down and burns something up. Either way, lightning comes down and can start things with fire. There came down hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. Now, the blood might be all the animals or the, the birds and stuff that it takes out of the air, that it comes so quickly that it just wipes out everything flying, or he allows blood literally to come down. Not sure. It says it was hurled down upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, what would that do to the oxygen content of our planet? Yeah. It would choke us. Anybody been out to that biosphere out in Arizona? You remember that experiment? They had this biosphere and they put people in there for what? Two years, Bob? You remember? A year, a couple years. And what it was, it was supposed to leave this, this self-contained city that they built and they were to get nothing from the outside. They grew their own food. They had plants in there to supply oxygen. The idea was, can we survive on another planet or out in space? And uh, the project, I went out there and looked at it. It's incredible. You know, their water circulating system and they grow rice. And, you know, they've got like these little compartments. And each one you go in, one's like a tropical rainforest. One's a desert. You know, one's like farmlands. And it's really neat how they've got it going. But the project failed miserably. The reason it failed was is those plants could not produce enough oxygen for those people quick enough. I think there was only eight, eight to 12 people that went in there. And what had happened was they started getting, you know, carbon dioxide poisoning. 
and uh, started getting crazy and going at each other's throats and stuff, and they finally just had to pull them out because it, it wouldn't do it. If you've got a third of all the green stuff that's burned up, what's that going to do to the oxygen content of the earth? It's going to hurt us. The second angel sounds his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all the blaze was thrown into the sea, probably a meteorite. A third of the sea turned into blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, what's that going to do with hydrolysis? You know what hydrolysis is? Well, you've got evaporation, you've got condensation, and you've got precipitation. And like in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, the water returns to its place that it came from. There is no new matter. It just changes different states. Now, if you've got a third of the sea turned into blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea, of course, are going to die, what's going to happen with hydrolysis? Because you've got evaporation again, and the winds, what do they call that wind that blows up high? Now, what the jet streams, thanks. The jet streams and the uh, air currents bring it over the land and it waters the land and it runs back into the sea. That's going to be interrupted. The uh, phytoplankton in the sea, which is also responsible for the law of the oxygen, will be wiped out. The balance, the ecosystem, will be completely out of whack. Now, if the Bible says it turns into blood, it turns into blood. And a third of the ships were destroyed meaning probably inoperative. They can't go out and fish. The economy there is going to be in a crunch. So you've got a lot of horrendous things happening. Verse 10, the third angel sounds his trumpet. Something else, too, with this big mountain that's blown, that comes down, this meteorite, you're not going to see Bruce Willis on that thing drilling holes in it. All right? It's coming. Remember that movie? Verse 10, the third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood and a third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that became bitter. And it's interesting, they've got a meteor or comet, I think it's a comet, that's flying around and they've named it Wormwood. And at some time, at some point in its orbit, it's going to hit this planet. They've already figured that out. I've got the article on it. I should have brought it and read it to you. That word, wormwood, means bitter, bitterness. It's uh, similar to when Israel came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they came to a place where the water was bitter, Elam. And do you remember what happened? Do you remember what Moses had to do to make the water sweet? He had to throw a piece of wood in it. And it's a type of the cross. The only thing that can take that which is bitter and make it sweet is the wood of the cross and the blood of Christ. And so you've got this thing that's going to come to make the waters bitter. And again, you can go back to that story. What's the only thing that's going to make the water sweet? The acceptance of Christ, the wood of the cross. And many people die. So now you've got the oceans that are blood, third of the rivers and the springs and the water supply. All affected here. Verse 13, he says, as I watched, I heard an eagle. Well, wait a minute, verse 12. He says, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. It's 
kind of like John where it says, men have seen the light, but they refuse to obey the light or come to the light. And so God turns down the light. And I think from this point, you're going to see it completely start to turn down. And then all of a sudden, the brilliance of his coming is going to blast forth. Because in Matthew 24, it says, uh, there'll be no mistaking when the, when the Son of Man comes. As lightning that strikes in the east, it's visible even in the west. So will be the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. You'll know it. I think here, because he just kind of turns down like a dimmer switch, and he turns down the light. Now, how do you have a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars? I don't think you've got the sun up here and a third of it. I just think he turns it down, okay, a third, that it doesn't give as much light as it did. Verse 13, he says, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair. And again, an eagle is symbolic of divinity, of royalty, it flies out of the sight of man. It's heavenward. And he calls out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded by the other three angels. Okay, so you've got three woes, thrice woes that are coming. All right. Now, we just got a few minutes, so I'm going to stop here because this next one's going to take some explanation. Let's read it, and then you contemplate it for about a week, and then we'll come back next Sunday, and I'll tell you what it is. Watch this. This is something right out of a sci-fi movie. It's freaky-deaky. Watch. The fifth angel sounds his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth, and the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. That's Tartarus. Now, I'll review it again, but we remember some angels that sinned long ago before the flood that were locked into this abyss, and now they're going to be let out. He says, when he, and I believe that this person who has the key is Satan, opens the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace, and the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke that rose from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were given power to kill they were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. He says, During those days men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Now watch the description of these things. Locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and their tails, or in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. They had a king over them, and the angel of over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, Apollyon. He says, this is the first woe, and the second ones are coming. And I think they're the three woes, because when you read that, you go, whoa. <laughs> what the heck is that? We'll find out next Sunday, okay? <laughs>